0: Told the family, I said, um, "I'm thinking about going camping. Uh, we could leave Sunday afternoon, come back Monday night, go camping." And my wife and daughter said, "No." That's it. That was the extent of my Labor Day right there. <clears throat> so some things that um, are happening right now. I don't. I don't. I really haven't heard much about this, except uh, from. In fact, the only place I've heard about this is from Jewish newspapers. But that um, we we do know that there's fighting going on in Iraq right now, and and, and people are thinking that it's you know it's just infighting the uh, Shi'as and the Sunnis kind of thing. But a lot of people don't realize that this is being stirred up, strongly stirred up by Iran, and that they are they are seeing a weak uh, space, a void in leadership, and so they've come into Iraq and they're trying to to um, really take over the government. And we saw where. The Iraqis were fighting, and then all of a sudden they just kind of stopped fighting, and uh, and we and Iran is really gaining a strong strong foothold right now in in Iraq, which is um, kind of scary because this is the same uh, time frame. This week actually is when the uh, Biden is lifting the sanctions against Iran. And uh, they have, they, they've been trying to, I, I mean, the sanctions were a joke to begin with. The whole, the whole uh, Iran deal that, um, the nuclear Iran deal that Obama set up, that when Trump got in office, he, he abolished it. It was a, it was a joke. It was, it was helping Iran create nuclear weapons under the protection of this fake agreement. And uh, Trump abolished it, then Biden gets in office and he kind of tries to set some of this back up. And according to Israel and Iran right now, Iran has nuclear weapons. It's not that they're trying to develop them anymore. They have these nuclear weapons. The only weakness that Iran really has in this is how to um, how to get the weapon somewhere. So the missile system that it takes to get the weapon somewhere, they have short range, close enough to get to Israel, but they don't have uh, long-range capabilities like uh, many of the Western countries, like, like our ICBMs and things like that. They don't have... They don't have the vehicle to get the nuclear weapon in, in faraway places, but they can definitely get it to Israel, and uh, this is this is all seemingly happening um, under the radar, which I don't really understand. I mean, I, I do. It's a spiritual thing. We recognize it's a spiritual thing, but this is this is getting very volatile over there, and Iran is becoming stronger and stronger in connection with Russia, which again that's Ezekiel thirty-eight. Okay, so. So this is, this is how it fits together for us. This is, this is end time kind of stuff that's going on here. Iran and Russia have to have this coalition connection with um, those, those um, seven or eight other Arab countries too that are mentioned in Ezekiel 38. But this, we're getting very close with this. And, and interestingly, along those same lines, now Germany has no more gas uh, natural gas, because Russia is not going to turn it back on. Remember, I said that a few weeks ago that they were they were turning it off, and they weren't going to turn it back on to test it. Now they're not turning it back on, and now Germany's going under. And it's almost a guarantee that um, Italy's going to be next. Italy is going to crash through this whole thing too. And uh, so, what the reason that's important is those countries now become dependent upon something. They have to get their fuel from somewhere. They have to, and so they become dependent upon who can give them um, the the uh, natural gas and any kind of fuel and things like that. So, so th- there's a lot of stuff going on around the world, and and we're playing some silly little games here in America while this is going on. And I think it's in, I think it's intentional. I think this is strategically intentional. I think the that our administration is enjoying the fact that we're all caught up in all this this uh, weird infighting and. And uh, the, the biggest thing in America right now is the broken, corrupt FBI. And that should not be the most important thing we're focusing on. But because it is so corrupt, we have to focus on that. And uh, we're, in a, we're in a really dangerous place with this. I did see also this week that the NIH, National Institutes of Health, just added ivermectin to its list of medicines for COVID. <clears throat> now, here's, here's my deal with this. We're all going, well, yeah, we've all been taking it forever. I know, I know a guy fairly close to you right now that has, has supplied many of you with ivermectin. I'm not going on record as to who that is, but here, here's the problem with, with me with this. Why isn't there a big fanfare about how ivermectin is the drug? Why haven't they apologized to the world and the country that this is now okay drug to take? What about all the people that lost their jobs and their businesses because they were forced to take a vaccine and wouldn't do it, but ivermectin, which they were taken, is actually a drug that works and the vaccine doesn't? Why is there not an apology? Why aren't service members giving their, their enlistments back or their, or their uh, office positions back? Why are they not giving this stuff? Guys, this is a very corrupt lie that has been told us. And now all of a sudden, oh, ivermectin's okay. Eh, it's no big deal. Well, you can take it now. Well, six months ago, it was poison, and you were going to die if you took it. And They were rescuing us from our own ignorance. Why is there not a big public apology from the CDC, the NIH, Fauci, and um, and half the hospitals in the United States, guys? We're 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 we're, we're being deceived. We're being manipulated. We're being played. And we just go along with it as a country. I'm not saying us, but we just go along with it. When, is, when do we stand up and say, wait a second. I, I'm, as a Christian, I, am, I, am, I don't like the idea of suing. But I think we should sue the pants off of everybody that has done this stuff. Yeah. Sue the hospital. Sue the NIH. Sue the CDC. Why? Because they have lied, knowingly, manipulatively lied to the people of America. This is, this is horrible. And then, on top of that, military enlistment is down um, uh, about 60% of what it normally is. And this is what the government is saying. The government is saying, well, it's because um, they're worried about catching COVID. No, it's because... The average 18-year-old is smarter than all the people in Congress and Senate. That's the reason. And the average 18-year-old sees the stupidity and the wokeness and says, I don't want to be a part of that. And the generation that would be signing up for the military, those are, those are the backbone of our society. They're not a lot of the snowflakes out there. They're actually the backbone. They don't want to be a part of this little game. They don't want to try to, 121 uh, Coast Guard servicemen were escorted off of the base of boot camp this week because they wouldn't get the vaccine. That, that's, that's where we are at. And these 18-year-old boys and girls are saying, we're, we're not going to play your stupid game because our military has become woke and they've become broken and they're not what they used to be. It is not close to what it used to be. This is a sad place that we are in. That does bring me to my message. I, I want to show us something here that I, I I've been praying a lot about this that we get this, <clears throat> and this kind of comes from this idea. Okay, um, I'm a I'm a I'm a President Trump fan. Just get that out there so there's no confusion. I, I'm a President Trump fan, okay? But here's, here's where I think that, and I've talked about this a few times over the last few months or longer. Guys, I think, I think if we're not careful, the church is, is, um, is walking down a road that is dangerous for us because we're, we're, we're becoming more and more about putting our hope in, in uh, Donald Trump than we are in Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, if Donald Trump doesn't get elected, our country is, can still make it. It can. Our country can make it right now. Now, I'm not saying life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness can make it, but I do believe that Christians in the country can make it, and we can still serve Jesus, and we can still be a very healthy body of Christ. Potentially, we talked about this a little bit. Aiden brought something up Wednesday night that I think is true. We could potentially even be healthier the more our liberty crashes. The church would be healthier. Because we start depending upon the Lord more than politics and things like that. Okay, and obviously I think I'm in the process of proving, I I do believe there is still hope in politics. I I hope you don't think I'm just a nihilist, but I, I do believe that. But at the end of the day, the church has got to depend upon Jesus, not upon a political leader or a political party. Okay, I, I have an R after my name because that's the only option I have. It's not because I am a, a deep down, tried and true Republican. I am not. I'm a conservative. The Democrats are way over there. The Republicans are somewhere here, and I'm in this camp of conservative because the Republican Party left the conservatives too. But the reason I'm conservative is because I believe in Jesus and I'm serving Jesus. Not because of a political mindset, but because of a spiritual allegiance to a king. Now, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, I want to show you something. This is, all of this stuff about David is, this is my favorite stuff in the Bible. This is you know We have all these DC and Marvel movies and all these kind of things. And the stuff in the Bible is better and it's true. It's better than any of the DC stuff. It's better than any of the Marvel stuff. David... The, the, the greatest warrior ever and his three, the mighty three, and then his 30 warriors. Read some of the stuff about these guys. These guys did things that, that superheroes and movies do today. And these guys really did this. The real guys really did this stuff. And these guys were amazing warriors. And this is one of those things. And I, and I believe that David was, was uh, the greatest warrior. And I believe he was probably the greatest tactician that ever lived. But, but here's, the, here's the, the little secret that goes along with this. The reason I believe David was such an amazing warrior is because he depended upon God. Not because he just was naturally a great warrior. I think, he was, I think he had some natural abilities. The reason he was a great tactician is because God told him where to go. When, when God is telling you where to fight and how to fight, you're going to be pretty good at it, right? Sun Tzu can take lessons from David if he would just say, submit to God. It would be, you'd be an amazing guy, and this is what happens. This is just one of many stories just like this about David. In verse 22 of Second Samuel 5, after a while, the Philistines returned and again spread out across the valley of Rephaim. And again, David asked the Lord what to do. That's where you're supposed to start. God, what am I supposed to do? Oftentimes, guys, we get so caught up in life and the stuff and the things and the decisions uh, that we forget to take step one. And step one is, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Well, yeah, but it's work and it's okay. But I, I really believe this. If we could walk in the power of the Holy Spirit at all times, it will take the normalcy that is us the same way it took the normalcy that was David and make us great. But we got to learn to walk in the Holy Spirit. We've got to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit in business, in trade, in everything. We've got to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. And the more we do that and the more we... we we get that. And the more that our lives we begin to surrender that to God and not make our own decisions and not and and depending on your personality, some personalities are, are much more difficult to, to do this because you're a doer, you're a you're a make things happen kind of person. And God made you that way, but he still wants you to stop and ask him first, God, what do you want me to do? When we get that, he can take normal people and make them great. God said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, do not attack them straight on. This is, this is tactical military. He says, don't attack them straight on. Instead, circle around behind and attack them near the popular trees. Now, Why? Is there some strategic thing about that? I, I, years, years ago, I saw a guy on a map saying, well, see, if you got this, you know, and I thought, you don't even know for sure where in the valley they were. You don't even know for sure where they were. So how are you making an assessment of the military tactical uh, advantage that God was trying to give David? You've missed the point. He's telling David, David, don't do it your way. Do it my way. Attack them from over there. And David's response was, okay, king. You're in charge. I'll do it. Now look, when you hear a sound like marching feet in the tops of the poplar trees, be on alert. That will be the signal that the Lord is moving ahead of you to strike down the Philistine army. So David did what the Lord commanded, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. So here's... here's There's a bunch of stuff, and I'm going to unpack a few of these things with this. Why does God take the time to do all of this and then to tell us about it? Process this with me. Why does God? Couldn't God just gone and squished all the Philistines? Story over. The exact same accomplishment happened. Right? No more Philistines. But he specifically walks through this process for a lot of reasons. First is for the the right then and there, for David, for for David to know that God was in charge and for God to show David this, right? And then to use David as part of it. I'll get more to that in a second. But another part of it is for David's men to see this and to build their faith in God because they watched their king, David, or he wasn't really that fully at this time, but to watch their leader, David, do this. Okay, so so some of that is just for the people at that time. And this is the way scripture works. Some of it's just for that. But there's also this part that is for us right now that says, if I can get to the mindset, not a physical physical place on land somewhere, in a physical battle between human beings. But if I can get the same mindset and the same submission to God that David had, that God will fight my battles too. And this is where we disconnect is because we're not seeing it as a spiritual thing, we're seeing it as a physical thing, so therefore it's potentially limited to time and space of that time instead of being applied to us directly in a literal sense today. To say, God, you actually fight my battles if I let you do it. So, so think about this. Why did God say go around over there? Why did he say wait for the, for the sound in the treetops or whatever? It's not, it's not like God was waiting for the battle, the, the, the soldiers of heaven to get ready. It's like he said, okay, David, go over there and wait. I got the guys. You're going to hear them marching through the trees. They're not ready yet. They don't have their shoes on. But in a second here, they're going to be marching right through the tree. Oh, hold on, David. Just go over there and wait for a little bit. I got to go get them. They're all, they're all asleep. It's not that kind of thing. God does what he wants according to his timelines and his focus, but he wins the battle every single time. And basically all David had to do was go along for the ride. And he said, David, um, take your sword in your hand because when this all goes down, there's going to be some Philistines running by. Whop their heads off when they get there. That's basically what David had to do. He, David didn't come up with the plan, and he wasn't really fighting the battle. God was fighting the battle. But it was going to take submission from David and surrender from David for God to do what he wanted to do. That's why God plans this whole thing out. And he does all these little details, even the sound in the trees. So that David sees it then, and we can see it now, and we can figure this out. That if I will just follow God, he will fight my battles. Now, let's go to Revelation chapter 16. And here is where we've got something from the past. Now we're going to look to the future. This is prophesied about the future. This has not happened yet. But this is the same context. And I'm going to to unpack that a little bit more in verse 12. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River. And dried it up so the kings from the east could march their armies toward the west without hindrance. And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. They are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for the battle against the Lord on the great judgment day now i don 't think i'm uh, stretching the truth or, or extrapolating here. I think this is I think you can gain this from the scripture okay that these demonic spirits go to the leaders of the world. This is a generalization it doesn't it doesn't say um, that every single leader is included it says all the rulers that that 's a general statement that the demonic spirits can convince these rulers to fight against the Lord. Now that's, that's a very bizarre thing. This has always been one of the, the weirdest, most bizarre things. Because how can, how can limited human rulers with limited human um, armament and, and, and weapons or whatever, how can they be convinced to fight against the king that created the entire planet? I really don't understand that. Except for the, it seems, it, it really is a simple answer. It just doesn't connect for me. But the answer is in the last days, they'll believe a lie. And the darkness is so profound that they will believe the lie. And that these demons are convincing the world leaders. And I don't see where there's a space for one of these world leaders to step up and say, wait a second, I don't believe this is true. I have a relationship with God. Apparently they are all so far in the darkness in their mind and in their spirit that that these demons can convince them to fight against Jesus with, with nobody abstaining. Which to me tells you the spiritual state of the world leaders. In this, And they're going to fight against Jesus. The king of everything. And we're going to see in a little bit here where where Jesus comes riding out of the clouds on a horse. Somewhere in there. Don't you think you go, wait. Maybe we shouldn't be fighting this battle. Isn't there a pause? But the darkness and the lie is so complete. The, the, the The control of this is so complete that they gather them for the battle against the Lord on the great judgment day of God the Almighty. Look, I will come as unexpected as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready, so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. And the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. Now, there's, I have a picture here of the Valley of Megiddo. Now, there's, there's theologians to say, oh, it, it didn't really mean this area. And this really isn't a real battle. It's a fake battle. And all this other stuff. Guys, that's goofiness and that's a lie that Satan is trying to convince to try to distract people from what's coming up. This is the Valley of Megiddo. I have stood right there. I didn't take this picture. But I've stood right where the picture taker person is. And they and looked out across here. This is this is massive space. So so here's the question: Is this true? You've got to decide that. Is this True. Just like you have to decide the story of David. Did God really fight the Philistines for David or did he not? You have to decide that. Now, it is true, regardless of what you decide. This is reality. This is truth. And no matter what you think, it really did happen. But how you serve God and how you understand you right now and your future and everything else depends on whether you believe this truth, whether you embrace this truth. Scripture shows us that that valley right there that massive, massive acreage, acreages is going to be... The battle is going to be so much with so many people that the blood is going to be about this high across the whole thing. That's, that's pretty serious. That's pretty serious. And I, and I come across Christians regularly like, it's not a real battle. It's not really going to happen. Be careful when you start thinking things like that. Because this says... It is gonna happen. This is God's word, but what you decide about it determines how you think now and how you live for the Lord now, going into the future. Look at this in Daniel chapter two, verse forty-four. This is um, this is where the statue is talked about, and you've got the Babylonian Empire, the um, the Roman Empire, all coming down, and then you've got the ten toes, and the rock is cut out of the the. The mountain and the rock lands on the ten toes. That's where this scripture is. All of the stuff before the ten toes has already been fulfilled. The ten toes has not been fulfilled. Those ten kingdoms are in existence. They have not been filled. And here's some of the reasons we know it because it tells us some stuff here. But it says, and this verse 44 is talking about Revelation 16 and Revelation 19, which I'm going to read in a minute. That this verse is. is It's about that, the battle of Armageddon. During the reign of those kings, ten toes, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness. Those kingdoms have not been destroyed into nothingness yet. So this part of Daniel 2 has not happened. And I believe this verse 44 is referencing the battle of Armageddon. That they will destroy, crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. Now, why, why would God take time to tell us all this stuff? Same concept as the battle with David. Why, was God, why did God not just squash the Philistines? Why did he do it? There's all kinds of reasons for David, for his men, for the Philistines, for the people of the area, but there's also reasons for us right now. Okay. Now, looking from the past up till now, let's address the David side, is that God fought the battle for David. And I believe that that scripture shows me that God will fight the battle for me. Okay? But to make sure I understand that, one of the many reasons that God prophetically speaks into the future about stuff is to show me that he's still consistent with who he is. And when he fights the battle of Armageddon, it's still proving to me today, looking from the past, where I am today, and knowing that God has already defeated Satan in a battle that hasn't even happened yet, he's going to fight for me right now today. God's the same. He's the same forever. He, he never changes He is the victor of all battles. That's one of his names, is the the banner that flies over. The Lord my banner is the way that the Hebrew says it. And that means that the Lord that wins the battle and and raises the flag that he won. That's his name. The Lord that wins all battles is his name. So if he can fight that for David, and we know he's going to fight this against all of Satan's forces in the future, I know he can fight for me and wants to and will fight for me right now. But the same key to both is important. And we'll get to the future in a second. But the key to David was he submitted and surrendered to God. He said, God, what do you want me to do? God said, okay, here's your marching orders. Literal marching orders. This is what you're going to do. Because why? He he went before God first. Now let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. This is important. It says, verse 10, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Not in you and not in your power. Be strong in the Lord and his power. When God is doing something in your life, you submit to him. When, when something is going on at work, you submit to him. When things are going on financially, you submit to him. When things are going on physically, you submit to him. That you be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Not in you. This is so this is a lifelong fight for human beings. Be strong in the Lord, not in yourself. This is always going to be the fight, and and depending on your personality is the direction that'll go. But we've got to be strong in the Lord. And then he says, put on all of God's armor, not your armor. God's armor, so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. This is a spiritual fight that you are in. That issue that's going on at work right now, that's a spiritual fight, and it's between spiritual demons and angels. It's, it's spiritual entities. It's not just people. People are very secondary in the, in the uh, subject. This, this is where we get confused about this. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. How difficult is that? I I have to constantly be talking myself into that and convincing myself that I am not fighting against spiritual things. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world. And against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So, what does he say? Verse 13. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor. Not your armor, God's armor. I think somebody sat on their keys. Am I the only one that hears the car? Shouldn't you take your keys out and check right now? Good job. Somebody's like, <laughs> <laughs> dummies. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, guys. This is where we. This is where. We, and I'm not going to go through the armor. I'm not going to go through the list of armor because I don't want that. I mean, that's very important, but I don't want it to distract us right now. This is the key. Is it's God's armor, and it's all spiritual stuff. It's all spiritual. It's not physical fight stuff. It's spiritual fight stuff. Guys, we are in a spiritual battle right now, and God wants to fight it for us, but we, we take that back from him. We, we struggle with him over this. I, I, um, I was at a town hall this last Saturday, not yesterday, but the week before, and I spoke at it, and, um, and I, was, I was being interviewed. I got my first legitimate attack piece in the newspaper. I was so excited. <laughs> I, I've been waiting for this. I just been feel like everybody likes me, and I don't think that's fair. They don't like some the other candidates. Why don't they like me? So they finally did a, a hit piece on me, and it was, it was solid. They pretty much hit everything you could imagine. But either way, the reporter came up to me afterwards, and he said, you said something about um, that what's happening in our schools is demonic. He said, do you believe in demons? I said, yes, I believe in demons. Demons. Yes, I believe in demons. And you think demons are real. I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> yes. But it'd be, I had the phone right here trying to record me and catch me. Some, And, you know, my, my heart was really hurting for this guy at this moment for a lot of reasons I won't go into. But the fact that he thinks I'm crazy because I believe in demons. That doesn't change the fact they're real. And they're trying to destroy his soul. And he can't see it. He thinks, I'm nuts. And, and the way he wrote the article, he, is, he wants his readers to think I'm nuts. But here's the reality, guys. We're in a battle right now. And whether you believe in God doesn't change the fact that we're in a battle. Whether you believe in Satan doesn't change the fact that we're in a battle. Whether you believe in our heaven or hell doesn't change the fact that these are real and we're in a battle. Whether you believe in demons or not doesn't change the fact that we are in a battle. And we're losing it. If we're not standing with Jesus Christ. The only hope we have is to let Jesus fight our battles. When we fight, we lose. And sometimes it gets clouded by the fact that we win temporally on a human way. And we, and we deceive ourselves into thinking we really won. Because we fought a human battle with human people. And we actually lost the real battle. We're supposed to let the Lord fight for us. But that's the challenge. It's, a, it's an everyday fight. I'm saying within ourselves. To let the Lord fight this. In verse 18 he says... Pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. I come across people all the time. I've been doing this for 30-something years, been in ministry, and I always come across these people who are real anti-Holy Spirit and they're anti-gifts of the Spirit and things like that. They're Christians. I'm not not questioning their Christianity, but they really are just um, anti-anti speaking in tongues, praying in the Spirit, all this kind of stuff. And, And I get the Scriptures like this, and I'll ask them, what do you do with this? What do you do with it? Pray in the spirit. That means pray in tongues. Pray in the spirit at all times, on every occasion. And they'll say, well, you know, I don't think it's for everybody. Then what do you do with this scripture? Because without this scripture, you don't have the armor of God. You don't have the protection. You don't have the fighting warrior mentality of the Holy Spirit. You're doing it within yourself. Pray. And the Holy Spirit, at all times, on every occasion, and that is our only hope for power and for victory in this spiritual battle. Pray in the Spirit. On the way to work, pray in the Spirit. Turn off the radio, pray in the Spirit. When you're sitting at work, and you're typing, or you're doing whatever, pray in the Spirit. Now, not out loud, that freaks people out, but... But in your head, be praying in the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit roll through you, giving you strength, strengthening you, empowering you, strengthening you, empower you. Why? Because this is a real battle, and Satan is really trying to destroy you, and you, and you can't play games and think you're going to get through this. This is, this is why our country is where it's at, because the church has played games for too long. We play little Christian games. We come to church, and we sing our little songs, and we do our little church stuff, and then we go home, and nothing is different. There's no power. There's no transition in our existence. and There's no, there's no transcendence in our living. There's nothing. We're just, we're just a form of Christianity, but no power. We don't, we don't cast out demons. We don't pray for the sick to be healed. We may pray, but we don't really believe it's going to happen. And, and not, nothing happens. And we just go day to day. There's nothing supernatural. There's no divine appointments. There's no supernatural God just explodes on the scene and does something. Because, you know, we're just good. We got American Christianity, and it's just comfortable enough to make us all safe. And it's a lie. It's a lie. According to Scripture, this isn't me. According to Scripture, there's going to be so many people that think they're on the way to heaven, and they are not. That's Scripture. That's not me trying to make you feel bad or push you in a corner. It just gets deep into my spirit sometimes that, that we're playing games. And, and, the, and the ruler of the universe is wanting relationship and to connect with us. The, the creator of everything is just wanting to pull us in close and say, we can do this together if you'll let me. We're like, no, God, I'm good. I got it. I'm smart enough. I'm strong enough. I'm, I'm wealthy enough. I'm whatever. I, I'm go, I got it. And God says, okay, you have no idea. I have no idea. Revelation chapter 19. This is the explanation of what was being set up in chapter 16. The demons were going to the, the rulers of the countries and convincing them to fight. Verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. See, to me, at that moment, I'm out. I mean, I get chills just reading it. The heavens... And Jesus is just sitting there on the horse, just waiting. They're all bringing, they're little tanks and little fighter jets and missiles and all these tiny little things all over the planet. Clouds open and Jesus is just sitting there on a white horse. Guys, this is, this is real. This is powerful. And Jesus likes an entrance. Its rider was named Faithful and True. His name is faith. I'll show you something cool in this scripture. Look at the differences between his name and his titles. Some cool stuff. I'm not going to unpack that except just to say that. Its writer was named faithful and true, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. This is a righteous war, and he's about to slaughter millions of people. And it's a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire. When do you when do you just give up and walk away? No, we're going to fight this. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. Now, this is this is my supposition. But this, this, this comes from two things. One, I know this part, is in Isaiah it says that all the government was upon up on his shoulders. That's where the crowns come from. But I, I think that there is another element of this, because it's mentioned exactly like it is right here. I believe the crowns that are on his head that are being seen are the crowns of the kings that are on the ground fighting him. And, and he says, you think you're going to win? I got your crown. Your, your country is mine. Your area is mine, your people are mine. I'm the victor of all battles. But you're standing down there and you're gonna fight your little battle against the king that has all the crowns. His a name was written on him that no one understood him except himself. Faithful and true is his name, and this one nobody knows but himself. I've talked about this before. You'd have to go back and, and thing or email me, and I can explain a little bit more, but. But the fact that you're given a new name and that it it is you and that you understand it in a way nobody else does, I've talked about that before. Verse 13, he wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. They didn't fight. I believe that's you and I. Those that are raptured, those that have come before, I believe that's us but we're not going to fight. Because why? You would just cause a problem. You'd be running in front of God's horse and trip, and the horse trips, and then Jesus is rolling through the clouds, and it's your fault. God doesn't need our help. You know that, right? When when God fought the battle with David, did he need David's help? No. No. But he let him ride along. And guys, this is the coolest thing for the future. And this is part of the reason he prophesies about this stuff. Because it applies to me right now. In the future, we're just going to be able to ride along. Guess what? You can do the exact same thing today. God will fight your battle. And you can ride along. And he'll make you look pretty amazing. And he'll make you look like you know what you're doing and all this other stuff. But really, all you're doing is riding along. It's more like you're on a... um, a carousel horse going up and down, and Jesus is riding. And we're like, we got this. <laughs> if we will just let the Lord fight our battles, I know it's not easy, but we, we've got to learn that. And I believe the way you do that is you pray in the Holy Spirit at all times, on all occasions, because the more you pray in the Spirit, the more your spirit is is humbled and submitted, the more your your um, your physical resources, your emotions, your understanding and all that stuff is enlightened to see through the human stuff and to see the supernatural stuff and to see God's grace and His, and his love and His commitment and His power and His majesty that He can literally fight the battles. That's what praying in the Spirit does for you. The, 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 the scripture that John says, uh, that I may decrease so that you may increase, talking about the Lord, that's what praying in the Spirit does. Is it decreases you and increases the Lord. And we all need that all the time. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. Think about this, the sword. What is the sword? Sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. See, I believe what crushes the nations is truth. Now, this is for us personally. Get this, this is important. Truth comes from God. Lies come from Satan. And if we allow our lives to be involved If we allow our lives to be involved in lies, then our foundation will be crumbled when truth hits it. But if our lives are built upon the truth of Jesus, then when the truth hits it, we don't crumble with the nations. We stand with God in truth. This is where it becomes very difficult in in our Western humanistic thinking. Because we believe in playing the edges of everything. We believe in playing the edges. This is one of the things when I go to Denver I'm not going to do. I don't play edges well. I don't like it to begin with. It disgusts me, and I don't do well with it. I don't like to to skirt the truth to make people like me. Guys, we play games with this stuff too much. And yes, there are going to be times when it's going to cause us problems to stand for truth. It's going to cause us problems. It, it, it It will, because Satan is trying to trap us but when we, when we uh, spin it a little over here, we, we frame it a little over here so that, so that we look better at work or, or so that, the, that our friends think good or whatever, what we do is we are, we are dipping into, we're dipping our toe into lie. Not totally, I didn't lie, I didn't go all the way, but when we're playing the game, we're dipping our toe over there and, and all of a sudden that becomes our foundation without realizing it. And when the sword of truth hits the nations and destroys the nations, if you if your life is built on truth, you will make it through. But if your life is not built upon truth, you will crumble with everything else. That's that's sobering to us. Let your life be built on truth. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. And that sentence right there alone, you could do a bunch of studies on how it's pressed and what comes out is God's justice, his wrath, all at the same time. That's, that's scary stuff. On his robe at his thigh was written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is another title, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come! Gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings. Come and eat the flesh of generals this is this is not just a to everyday people, he's making sure we understand that. Come, come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, of all of humanity, both free and slaves, small and great. When we get to the point where we think everything we've done is really amazing, we built this greatness about ourselves. The best we can come up with is food for vultures. The best that we are without Jesus as our general, as our leader, as our king, is food for vultures. Because we are flesh. And if we're not following Jesus, everything goes by the wayside. We have to follow Jesus, completely follow Jesus. And the beast was captured. I'm sorry, let me back up. Verse 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. They are so caught in their lies, they think somehow they can win this. And the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Miracles that deceived all who accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. I'm going to, in the future sometime, I'm going to talk about the mark of the beast and the and the worship and the statue and all this stuff. I just got other things first, but... That's a real thing that's going to happen. People talk about the mark of the beast all the time, and, and you know we, you know, it's barcodes and all this kind of. I I think there's a possibility it's not any of the things we think it is right now. That that I think he's showing us something that's much bigger. Someday I'll, I'll teach about that. that. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the one, the mouth of the one riding the white horse, and all the vultures gorged themselves on the dead bodies. Guys, the very first thing. Let the Lord have rule over your life. Not just just love him and be loved by him, but let him rule. Let him rule as the king. He is king. We're not. We've got to to get away from this, this kind of modern Christian thinking where everything is just making us feel good. I love the Lord, and he loves me, and that makes me feel good. But I am also submitted to the king of kings. I am not a king of anything, but he is He's the ruler. One of his names is the Lord of Heaven's armies. He is the mighty one. He is the majestic one. And our responsibility is to let him rule. Not just do some Christian thing along with the good guy in the sky. But he's the ruler. I bow my knee before him. The very first thing all of humanity is ever going to do when we step into his presence at the great right throne of judgment is we're all going to hit our face before a holy, almighty God. We're not going to be holding hands, tiptoeing through the tulips. We are going to be submitting to the God of the universe. He's king. And the second thing is expect the Lord to fight your battles right now today. Expect him to fight your battles. He wants to. He can. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. God, you're the one that's in charge. I'm not. I'm not in charge. And God, when I try to be in charge, Lord, I ask you to, to, to stop it, to stop me from doing that and for you to be in charge. Lord, I need, I need you as my king. I need you as my leader, as my ruler, my forgiver, my provider. Lord, I need you to fight my battles. So Lord, I pray for every one of us that we would let go of the stuff that we're, that we're holding on to so tightly and let you be in charge. To let you be in control. How many of you right now say, I'm, I'm, really, I'm right in the middle of something, right in the middle of a battle, I'm right in the middle of a big thing in my life? Just raise your hand, keep your hand up. I'm right in the middle of a big thing. Did you Do you know that when God wrote the story of David, he already knew this? He already knew this. And he knows what the answer to your battle is. God, you see my hand. You see everybody's hand. Lord, help them to let go and let you fight it. It's your battle. It's not theirs. You're their child. You will take them. You will carry them. You will provide for them. God, help them. Help them to see that and just to let you fight the battle. Lord, we come to you and we say, what do you want me to do first? Lord, you fight the battle. Show us. Show us right now that you're doing it. Put that in our spirit. Confirm in our spirit right now, Lord, that you you can fight this battle, that you've got it. And we don't have to. Lord, that you're going to win this battle too. Because you don't lose anything. In the name of Jesus. And even when we don't see it, you're still moving. Even when we don't feel it, you're still moving. Because you're the king. All the crowns are on your head. Take communion together, and I want to. I want to show you this. So, what we do is communion now. Jesus fulfilled. It was a feast. I'm going to talk about this some next week. It was the feast that He fulfilled. If you if you need communion, raise your hand, and he'll he'll uh, bring it to you. <clears throat> so, so this is what we do. This is a very small thing that we do, called communion. It's not really the whole thing. It's just a very Tiny little part of the whole picture, but what we're doing is celebrating something that Jesus did two thousand years ago, and He was fulfilling something of a feast, a festival called Passover that had been happening for thousands of years before that. So you back up all the way to the Exodus, and this is when Communion started. And so for a few thousand years they did that. Then Jesus fulfilled it by being that Lamb on Easter. And then he tells his disciples, look, I'm going away, but continue to do this. And 2,000 years later now, we're doing the same thing to celebrate and to remember what Jesus did on the cross, which was a fulfillment of the Passover. Now here's the cool part. It becomes prophetic for every one of us. Look at this, I'm gonna jump to the end. This is in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you, in just a minute here, you're gonna eat the bread, you're gonna drink the cup, and that means you personally are announcing the Lord's death 2,000 years ago until he comes again. That's prophetic. This is, this is Jesus showing us something. And, and he does this, almost all of scripture is this way. It's a, it's a then moment, it's a us moment, and it's a future moment. And almost everything in scripture is wrapped up that same way. And only God can accomplish that. And he says, what you're doing is prophetic. You're being a prophet by doing this. And I I believe this is part of something that this guy named Stronstad that wrote a book. He's at a Canadian Assembly of God. But he wrote a book called The Prophethood of All Believers, which is not the priesthood, the prophethood. And I think these are the kind of things that he's talking about. I'm part of the prophethood. What am I going to do? I'm going to take communion right now. And that is declaring to me, to all of us in this room, and it's declaring to the demons that are trying to destroy me that God is God and his blood covers me. And there's nothing you can do about that, Satan. Nothing. Because he's the one who fights my battles. That's prophetic. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread... He gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We see where scripture also tells us that the stripes that he took on this physical body, which is how they used to make the matzah so it would be seen, the stripes would be seen so that we know I'm healed. And every time we do this, it reminds me, I'm healed. He took the stripes at Calvary for my physical healing. He did this. Lord, we thank you for this gift of you. That, Lord, you were shouting from the past all the way from Genesis through the ages right through our time and into the future that you are the king. And that all the crowns are on your head. And that your physical body being torn literally provides my physical healing right now today. And that you transcend disease, you transcend sickness, because you're the king. And we submit ourselves to you, because you're the king. And Lord, I pray as we, as we take this bread together, that you would physically heal us all throughout this room. Heal our bodies. Things we know, things we don't know. Heal our bodies. And I stand in faith, believing yet what your word says. Let's take the bread together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For loving us enough to destroy the strongholds of sickness and disease, to destroy the junk that Satan tries to throw at us. You already took it all on you. same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it Lord we thank you for your blood covering we ask you to forgive us and wash us with your blood forgive us of anything Lord that's not pleasing to you Wash it away with your blood. Make us pure and holy without spot or blemish standing before you because of your blood. And no matter what Satan tries to do, you're the victor because of your blood. That you own me, Satan does not. You paid all my debts. You bought me. I belong to you. In the name of Jesus forgive us and wash us with your blood. Let's take the drink together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, help us to get it from our head into our spirit that you will fight and you will win our battles. God, help us to submit to you in the name of Jesus. Take us from here full of your Holy Spirit, full of your presence. Lord, help us to tell somebody about you this week. Just to let somebody know you love them. In Jesus' name. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about the Lord. God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. <clears throat> so, shake somebody's hand. Tell them how happy you are that they are here and then go camping without me. (laughs) We will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your Labor Day weekend.